Total darkness, that is, not just darkness of mood. The days were the shortest of the year, the nights longest. The weather was cold and gray. What was gloomier, the White House had been enveloped in grim wartime security. The windows were fitted with blackout curtains. Anti-aircraft guns were mounted on the roof and on the grounds. Soldiers patrolled the fence. It was only because the President had specifically forbidden it that Army tanks didn't guard the gates. Gas masks in khaki canvas bags hung from their straps on the furniture everywhere in the house. They were urged to carry them about, though no one did. Her independence of movement was circumscribed. She had been accustomed to shaking off her Secret Service escort and traveling as she wished. No more. Now the agents insisted she must have their protection, and in this the President concurred. The First Lady couldn't look forward to Christmas knowing that none of her children could come home. For Franklin, it would be a difficult time for yet another reason. His mother had died in September, and this would be his first Christmas without her. He still wore a black crepe armband on his left arm, the sign of his formal mourning. Distressing as holidays with her formidable mother-in-law had sometimes been, she had been able nevertheless to look forward to having the family together at Hyde Park, with a fire burning in the great fireplace, stockings hung, a tree. This year, even Christmas wouldn't bring relief from gloom and tension. She hid her feelings and showed a face of resolute self-confidence. She was no less energetic. Indeed, she reached out for new responsibilities, as if she possessed reserves of energy that had never yet been tapped. As the President shouldered the heavy new burdens of wartime leadership, she searched for ways to do her share, and she found them. In private, though, for a time, her optimism failed her. More than once during those weeks, she shut herself for a little while in her room, and there, in small moments of privacy, Mrs. Roosevelt wept. Monday evening, December 22nd. Tonight, exclaimed Mrs. Roosevelt, but they were not due until tomorrow. The president nodded. He had sucked in his cheeks and the corners of his mouth turned down slightly. He shrugged and pulled smoke through his holder into his mouth and deep into his body. Then he nodded again and let a faint smile replace the expression of mild annoyance with which he had made his announcement. They've been at sea ten days, you'll remember, he shrugged again. They decided to leave the battleship at Hampton Roads and are flying into Washington. Then they will be here for dinner. Something very informal, he said. For how many? Oh, I should think fifteen, maybe twenty. I don't see how Mrs. Nesbitt can be ready. The President's smile broadened. Tell her she'll have to be ready, he said. Tell her she'll just have to set her schedule ahead a few hours. But Churchill... He requires brandy, cigars, I trust he'll have brought those with him, a hearty meal, none of Henrietta's tuna sandwiches, and tell her to send people upstairs to be sure his rooms are ready. Mrs. Roosevelt sighed. Yes, of course. The president glanced at his watch. I'll be leaving for the airport soon. Will you join me, Babs? With dinner for fifteen to prepare on an hour's notice? Really? That's what you pay Henrietta for. Give her her marching orders and come along to greet the Prime Minister. She shook her head. I shall greet him here. I have a feeling that this is not the first time he will completely abandon his schedule and impose a new one on us at a moment's notice. The President laughed. According to Elliot, who visited him at Checkers, you recall, 
Winston is more royal than the king. Let Henrietta remember that. I won't have the Grand Alliance broken up over some household idiosyncrasy. She recognized him, of course, as soon as he stepped through the door. He was unmistakable. Short, rotund, cherubic, some said. Florid, the sandy red hair almost gone from the top of his solid head. Jaunty little bow tie a bit askew. Heavy watch chain draped over his ample belly. Fat cigar clamped between two fingers of his left hand. Not an especially prepossessing figure at an instant's glance. Yet a man whose calm, confident power required but a moment to make itself evident even to a casual observer. I believe I have the honor of addressing Mrs. Roosevelt, he said before anyone could introduce them. Mr. Churchill, she said, welcome to America. Welcome to the White House. Thank you. And please allow me to present my colleague, Lord B.